My name is Megan Johnson, your host of Payments Radio, and today we travel to Latin America to talk about all things local payment methods. I'm joined with three folks from PPRO, Ethori uh, Martins, Product Manager for Payments, Jean Mies, Head of LATAM, and Tamina Galindo Gustai, the Spanish-speaking Country Managers for LATAM. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Hello. Good to be here. Great. So let's kick things off. Um, and I first want to understand why is LATAM so exciting? So, Jean, what's the status quo with e-commerce in, in LATAM? There's many reasons why Latin America is, uh, is very interesting from an e-commerce perspective. Uh, a lot of things have happened there uh, in the more recent times. If we look at the you know impact that the pandemics had on on uh, on Latin America, it was quite significant. So, if you think about it, prior to the pandemic, uh, e-commerce penetration was comparatively low across Latin America. That's mainly due to the large share of unbanked population, uh, complicated logistics. LATAM is very big, right? You can imagine that it costs a lot to ship around goods uh, across the region. And then, of course, because there was there was also a lack of trust in online payments that's mm -hmm. inherent to, let's say, to the less mature markets. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, COVID-19 has, has driven significant growth across the region. So, of course, many stores were forced to suspend their physical activities. Um, and because of that, large parts of the population were simply forced to buy online, right? So, yeah. if we look at the last year, uh, an estimated 13 million people across Latin America made an online transaction for the first time. Oh, That's wow. in 2020 alone, right? Mm -hmm. And um, as an effect or a consequence of that, uh, retail e-commerce grew by almost 37% uh, to around $85 billion. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look, if you break it down to the, to the countries, so some of the countries, um, we have seen significant growth, uh, especially in Argentina, 80% growth in Brazil and Mexico, with both around 30, 35% growth. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you if you look at some of the companies in the region, companies like Mercado Livre, which is um, a huge player comparable to eBay, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they grew uh, almost 200% uh, during the pandemic in terms of processing volume and, and transactions, right? The same happens to other uh, companies like Rappi, that is a delivery company that acts across the, 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 the entire region, but also Amazon, right? So all of them booked uh, solid triple-digit growth rates uh, since the beginning of the pandemics. Now, an interesting side effect of the pandemic is that um, e-commerce is now reaching new segments of the population. So what happened is that because of this uh, trend towards online payments and e-commerce, um, uh, both lower income segments of the population, so people who would not necessarily use e-com um, because of because of um, you know the distance um, from a from a you know purchasing power perspective, mm -hmm. um, are now using e-commerce as well, uh, and at the same time, uh, the older segments of the population, so people aged sixty and plus uh, years, right, are purchasing online. Um, and what's interesting is that uh, in countries like Brazil, uh, 
the number of un unbanked consumers has decreased by 73% uh, during the pandemics, according to a study conducted by MasterCard, right? Mm -hmm. And if we look at, at what, what we expect that will happen is, uh, we, we believe that this uh, trend is likely to persist after the pandemic as well, because now pretty much the barrier is not there anymore. So uh, not only retailers and digital companies have adapted to the new situation, to the new reality. So they have become more, more customer friendly in their uh, way, how to sell, make it, made it easier and so on. And adapted, of course, all uh, their infrastructure to be uh, focusing more on e-commerce, right? Rather than on, on physical retail. Um, and at the same time, consumers have also overcome their concerns to buy online, yeah. right? So it's it's really interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it's interesting. You mentioned one of the, the challenges before COVID was a, a lack of trust. Um, I mean, I, I think given COVID, you know, people had to, would you say that people were forced to get over that? Or would you say that some of the, the e-commerce companies were, you know, supporting and was there more educational uh, material around making e-commerce payments and, and using cards and, and whatnot? It, it was definitely a, a combination of both, Megan. I think that on one hand, definitely people were kind of forced into, uh, you know, buying online, right? Because again, stores were closed. Um, at the same time, uh, there was a, a lot of, um, uh, let's say, evolution also on the security side. So new technologies coming up um, that mitigate the risk of fraud, right? And this, of course, um, brings uh, certainty and peace of mind to the consumer side as well. So I'm thinking of, um, yeah, for instance, uh, uh, credit card authentication uh, methods like 3ds 2.0, which is a way that is um, that allows consumers to use their credit card online in a very secure way, but also in a very, um, let's say, consumer-friendly way. Right. So it's um, uh, it's a seamless way to authenticate a transaction, uh, and that brings, as I said, peace of mind to the consumer side as well. So it's a combination of both. Interesting. And um, focusing in specifically on Brazil, Atori, who's been capitalizing on this trend towards, um, you know, the, the, the growth in the e-commerce market? Who were who the, the main players coming out as, as winners? Well, Megan, uh, basically all industries um, except the tourism has grown during this, this pandemic situation. But we can highlight industries like import, pets, housing, furniture, uh, that almost doubled the, the representativeness of e-commerce in 2020 mm -hmm. in comparison to the last year, to 2019. Uh, the e-commerce in Brazil, uh, the e-commerce of Brazil platform published that in the last quarter of 2020, 18.4% uh, of Brazilian internet users made at least one, one online purchase. So as John highlighted, many people are starting using this uh, this way of purchasing mm -hmm. of buying things so uh, if you if you check the data for the whole year of 2020 we see that the retailers represent 80% uh, of the total purchase done via e-commerce in brazil 
but if you check the, the, the representativeness of it inside of this sector, it's only 8.6% of the retail total sales. So we see that there's a big room for improvement for growing uh, yet. Interesting. Thank you for that. And Tamino, what about in, in Mexico or some of the other Spanish-speaking markets? Um, what's happening there? Is there anyone in particular capitalizing on, on the trend? Yeah, um, in Mexico specifically, and many other Spanish-speaking countries, the age range of consumer in digital media has increased since um, in people between 40 and 45 years old have begun to buy more and more products on digital platforms. Mm -hmm. In terms of consumption, streaming is the service category with the highest uh, sales growth. Okay. For retail, uh, the categories with the highest increase in sales are food delivery, fashion, and pharmacy. Um, in addition, payments for basic services have substantially uh, migrated from physical to digital means. Mm -hmm. During COVID-19 pandemic, the payment methods remain almost the same, but um, there was a lot of uncertainty regarding cash as a payment method, but uh, people in general continue to pay with, the, with it at convenience stores, such as OXO, uh, cash on delivery services in Mexico, Pago Facil and RapiPago in Argentina, Sencillito in Chile, and Baloto in Colombia. So finally, as an additional information, according to America's market intelligence, Latin America's e-commerce market will grow about 100% in volume among the two the, the region's top six markets between 2018 and 2022. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds like in, specifically in Mexico, kind of industries um, yeah, had a greater presence on um, e-commerce, but interesting that, um, you know, there was some initial fears around what will happen to cash, but it's, um, yeah, still king, I guess, but um, we can, we'll definitely touch um, upon a bit more about the local payment methods uh, further in the conversation. But I wanted to now touch upon some of the, the macro changes that have happened that have, you know, made LATAM exciting apart from uh, COVID-19 and how this has exacerbated, um, you know, e-commerce um, in the region. So, Sean, what are some of the positive changes in terms of regulation we're seeing in LATAM? Yeah, so there were many, many changes uh, that started around seven or eight years ago in the region, right? Um, so many of the Latin American countries, uh, they have initiated activities to promote financial inclusion um, and to foster competitiveness around banking and financial services, right? Um, the reason behind that is, is, is clear. So Latin America uh, in general as a, as a conglomerate region is... Um, um, is highly concentrated from a banking perspective. So there are only relatively few banks uh, that dominate this, this field uh, compared to, to more diverse markets like the US um, or, or Europe, for instance, right? Um, so as an example, uh, in the US, you have thousands of banks, mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Mexico, Colombia, um, you have uh, only 50 or, or 25 respectively 
uh, acting in um, in those countries. Like in Brazil, it's it's even worse from that perspective because uh, it is the largest country in the region, but only five banks concentrate around 80% of all deposits, right? And um, as a result, the Latin American banks have uh, some of the healthiest margins mm -hmm. uh, across financial institutions uh, <laughs> around the entire globe. Yeah. So it's more than twice as high as the banks in Europe and, uh, and the US. Yeah. And this is, this is why <clears throat> um, the, the regulators, the local regulators started, uh, and the governments, of course, started passing uh, fintech-friendly uh, laws mm -hmm. to accelerate the competition and, and uh, again, to foster financial inclusion. Yeah. Right. So in Brazil, this happened in 2013. In uh, Mexico, uh, this happened in 2018 uh, with Mexico passing a fintech law. Mm -hmm. and, and other countries in the region like uh, Chile, Colombia are, are now following the lead. Right. What is interesting to, to notice is that the opportunities are significant for, for fintechs, just like PPRO. Right. Yeah. Um, because uh, naturally, uh, You know, these companies, uh, just like us, we focus on offering a better solution um, in niches that banks uh, often um, <clears throat> are not active or not able to, to provide a good solution uh, to customers or merchants, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in, in our region, uh, banks were in their comfort zone for, for a long period of time. And, and never needed really to be competitive or innovative. And this scenario has completely changed, right? And um, <clears throat> what we see is that this trend will also spread out across the region more and more. So more and more countries will start driving um, regulatory changes yeah. to reduce the dependency on the large banks and to, to increase competitiveness in the market. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I from what I see, you know, in in Europe and in Southeast Asia, you know, some of the most innovative markets definitely have the most forward thinking and, and progressive regulators. So, you know, the the regulation and and yeah, how. I guess, uh, how tech friendly and how friendly the regulators are to, to new players in fintech is definitely one of the key catalysts um, that we see for, for innovation. Um, Tamina, what about um, technology? What are some of the big technology trends that you've um, seen happening in, in LATIM? Well, I, I, I think the, the topic of technology is broad, but if we link it to the previous question, we have seen more openness Uh, to new technologies in countries where governments are concerned about improving regulatory issues regarding digitalization and innovation. Mm -hmm. A practical example of, um, of this is access. I remember when I, was, when I was little, how expensive it was to have a television or a cell phone. Today, anyone can buy it at a very affordable price. Mm -hmm. In the pandemic, technology has played a fundamental role on how we pay for services The way that the way we communicate, like this podcast, for example, and has also transformed the education sector. Today, more than ever, technology is the main tool for work and communication. Mm -hmm. When it comes to e-commerce, the ability to buy bespoke sites and applications, as well as Uh, the offering of payment service providers have grown exponentially, uh, providing flexibility and accessibility to virtually everyone. 
Okay. So, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like that technology has been the catalyst for, you know, more accessibility to, to financial products and services, which, um, yeah, sounds like it's kind of a, having a, a snowball effect. And, Atori, how has this opened up the door for companies like P-Pro to make a positive impact in, in LATAM? So, Megan, I would say that the growth of e-commerce has opened opened doors for, for all companies like Pipro. Um, if we talk about uh, negotiating something uh, with acquires, for example, a few years ago, it was quite difficult and tough to, to have this kind of discussions. And nowadays, with the size of e-commerce, uh, we, can, we have open doors for, for doing it. Uh, we also have uh, access today to cutting-edge features uh, in the payments industry. And also technology excluded the necessity of being physically uh, in the same place, and besides the data decentralization. In terms of regulations, we have seen the GDPR being accepted globally and user, uh, and use it as a reference for other regulations like the LGPD in Brazil. It's not just to reflect what the world is doing, but also to be able to do business with the whole world. Interesting. Um, and I guess focusing on kind of the, the payment mix and, and local payment methods with it, within each market. Um, Sean, what is the day-to-day payment mix and what are some of the, the noteworthy local payment methods in Chile and Colombia? Well, first of all, uh, they're among the fastest growing economies in Latin America. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're becoming very interesting from an e-commerce perspective. Yeah. Uh, but uh, right now, e-commerce is, is still a small percentage of the total retail volume. So both in Chile and Colombia, e-commerce represents around 3% of, of total retail, right? So it's 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 really at the at the very beginning um, of, um, of, of a maturing stage, let's say. Mm-hmm. But um, what is interesting is that Chile, although it's a relatively small market, it's probably the most mature market in the region. So there's uh, a very high internet penetration. So uh, 86% of the population is connected to the internet. Um, And it also has the highest percentage in in bank population, right? So so one in every three Chileans uh, owns a credit card. And uh, more than 60%, 65% actually have already made at least one online purchase. Um, from, from a payments mix perspective, um, you know, more than 70% of all e-commerce payments are still made with, with, with cards, so credit or debit cards. Um, so it's, it's really skewed towards, um, you know, electronic payments uh, via cards. Um, Colombia is is a is also a very interesting market. It's a it's a market to keep an eye on because um, also in the last years, the local government has pushed um, a variety of initiatives to foster digital inclusion, like we were saying previously, mm-hmm. uh, and to support the growth of uh, of the startup ecosystem in the country. And um, as a result of that, uh, e-commerce has been growing consistently. So uh, new players came up. So using Rappi again as an example, as a, com- a Colombian company that grew across the region, um, you know, it only grew because uh, in Colombia there were these initiatives to foster the growth of startups and, and e-commerce. Right? Um, if you look at the population 
um, <clears throat> per se. So uh, around 60% of, of all Colombians are connected to the internet. So it's, it's a pretty decent kind of uh, internet penetration. Um, and one in every three Colombians have completed an online purchase. So it's less than in, in Chile, but, uh, but still, you know, uh, growing, growing very interestingly. Um, but like Chile, Colombia is also essentially a card-based market when you look at uh, e-commerce transactions. More than 50% of all online purchases are made also with a credit or debit card. Okay, interesting. And, and Atori, um, I've, I've heard there's some innovations around credit cards in, in Brazil. It'd be great if you could share, you know, what the payment mix looks like in, in Brazil and some of the innovations around cards that we're seeing there. So talking about some innovations that we are, we are having in Brazil, recently we, we started using uh, the account billing updater service, which is called ABU, uh, a service that automatically updates the card data for a given group of transactions response. So for example, uh, when we have a, a transaction response of a card expired, instead of forward to the customer this result, we go to a to a database check if that card has already a, a new uh, data and retry the transaction with this new data. So it's a service that help us on, on improving the conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, we also apply it, uh, the recurrence flag where we tag the transaction as a, a recurring one. Mm -hmm. to the systems to understand that that transaction was already approved in past. So it helps on the conversion as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also working on, on improving our retry logics, uh, focusing on, on improving conversion, user experience. So uh, involving uh, artificial intelligence and some mechanism for, for improving it always. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of difference, we, we, I can tell you, like John said before, uh, we have the, the 3D secure functionality for debits, which is a kind of required requirement for Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't see it in other countries. It's a regular debit, although it can be used as well. In terms of difference, I see the 3DS being something uh, different uh, comparing Brazil and the others. Uh, and also, I, I could say that Brazil is usually the, the first country to bring new features to the market. Uh, it's a kind of uh, leading the, the market in terms of technology. Okay. So we have new features, functionalities in our acquires, in our market, and then the other countries uh, follow, follow us. Okay. Interesting. So Brazil, Brazil seems to be the, the leader of uh, innovation and yeah, some interesting initiatives around the credit card space. Um, and Tamino, what, what's happening in, in Mexico? What are some of the innovations and what does the day-to-day -day payment mix look like? Yeah, if you if you compare with other regions like Europe, Mexico could be very different. Mm -hmm. However, markets in Latin America tend to be much uh, more similar. Mexico is the second largest market uh, here with a um, 22% share. Mm -hmm. Talking about Mexico in specific, just 38% of adults in the country have a bank account versus 70% in the European Union. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the mix is more evenly distributed between all payment methods. Here in Mexico, we have uh, credit cards, 
debit cards, wallets, QR codes, bank transfers, cash and delivery, um, gift cards, among, among others. So it sounds like there's a, a pretty interesting um, mix and yeah, definitely, I mean, a lot of potential for reaching the, the unbanked or, or the underbanked in, in the market. And thinking about cross-border payments in the LATIM region, um, Jean, what's the situation like in, in LATIM and are there any companies that are capitalizing or exciting to watch in this space? Um, I would definitely say so, Megan. Um, so from an opportunity perspective, uh, of course, Latin America is very relevant as one of the largest uh, consumer markets, aggregated consumer markets in the world. And um, of course, if you look at uh, the growth um, of, of companies or let's say, uh, let's call them e-commerce powerhouses, right? Like Alibaba, Wish and Amazon, um, which, you know, companies that are expanding aggressively across the globe, they're all tapping into Latin America because of the huge opportunity here, right? Um, at the same time, um, and that's maybe the flip side, Latin America is also very complex from a, from a regional perspective, right? Um, it's, uh, it's highly diverse culturally, uh, also from a regulatory perspective, but also from a technical perspective. I think we we noticed that uh, when Timina and, and Ettore will, will, were explaining the differences between the markets, right? So if, if you look at the cross-border perspective, um, the level of complexity is very high. So in Latin America, for instance, merchants need to establish local entities to be able to sell the products or services to local consumers. Uh, simply, simply selling from abroad is not a viable option because most of the local consumers usual, usually um, use local payment methods mm -hmm. like cards or other payment methods that are not enabled for international transactions. So they can only buy, purchase or purchase services and products locally. Mm -hmm. And uh, international merchants need to be adapted to that. Uh, at the same time, this is exactly where companies like PPRO come in. Right. Uh, so we support international payments, uh, 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 payment service providers, but also merchants to set up their shop in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And this um, uh, we do, you know, by offering a wide variety of services, uh, which range from setting up a local entity to ensuring uh, compliance with regulatory and tax requirements, mm -hmm. uh, but also to simply being able to accept a large variety of local payment methods. So, um, again, I think that's the, the opportunity from a cross-border perspective here is huge. And, uh, and we definitely are helping many of the powerhouses uh, to tackle, you know, the challenges of doing business in Latin America. Okay. And I mean, you touched upon um, local payment methods um, in, in some of the different markets. Um, Tamina, you, you kind of alluded to some of the local payment methods. Um, you mentioned QR codes and wallets. What are some of the big local payment methods in, in Mexico? Yeah, um, but first, let me give you a fact. 60% of transactions in LATAM are processed through a local payment method. So it's a huge percentage. If you want to be in the game, you must integrate payment methods in your offer. The variation depends on the country. Cards dominate the Argentinian market with two main processors, which are Fiserv and Prisma. And the alternative cash payment methods, Rapipago and Pago Facil, are the most popular in the region. 
In Chile and Peru, it is estimated that between 60 to 70% of their populations use a credit or debit card as a payment method, including local cards such as Falabella, which represents a large percentage in the Chilean market. In Colombia, 55% of the population uses cards as payment method through two different processors, Redevan and Credibanco. Also, bank transfers are the second most chosen option by digital consumers to pay online. Finally, for Mexico, cards represent 41%, cash-based payment methods represent 21%, wallet 16%, and bank transfers 16% too. Okay, super interesting. Quite quite the mix there. And Tori, what about the the um what, what type of LPMs are we seeing in, in Brazil? Well, Megan, uh, if we talk about cards itself, mm -hmm. we do have some local Visa and MasterCard versions. Yeah. And also local brands like Elo and Hypercard, mm -hmm. which are popular here in Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, but talking about the most popular payment method we have is, is the Boleto Bancario. It's a cash payment method that does not require the user to have a bank account to use it. And talking about some news, uh, last November, we have the, the launch of uh, a payment method called PIX, which is uh, a bank transfer uh, with instant confirmation. Mm -hmm. And although it has the bank transfer in its concept, uh, it also does not require the user to have a bank account, uh, as it can be used for e-wallet users, for example. Okay. But talking about Pix itself, it's a subject that we can have an exclusive podcast to talk about and share more details of it, because the, the impact that Pix will have in our uh, market in Brazil, it's big. Maybe, maybe just adding to, to what Ettore said, uh, PIX definitely is extremely interesting because within a short period of time, so PIX was launched in November last year, mm -hmm. um, the, the number of users uh, has increased dramatically. So we're talking about in, in a six-month period of time of 65 million registered users in Brazil and more than a trillion Brazilian reais, so around $200 billion processed over this payment method. This, of course, is not uh, e-commerce payments, but it's overall usage of this payment method. So it's it's going to you know, be very, very relevant for sure, also in the e-commerce space soon. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, those are some incredible uh, statistics. And I mean, I guess wrapping up, thinking about what the future kind of holds for LATAM and why we should look to LATAM. Do you see um, other markets like looking at picks and what's happening in Brazil and players looking to replicate a, um, you know, a bank account uh, payment method in other markets? Or do you think this is something that will just be particular to the Brazilian market, John? So I think that, uh, like Ettore said, uh, in, in many aspects, uh, Brazil kind of sets the, the tone when it comes to innovation. That's natural because Brazil is the largest market in the region. And I think that what, what will happen over time is that other markets will, will also start looking into, um, into more innovative uh, you know, ways to offer payments right to to their consumers um, with the success of of a payment method like pix that's uh, happens in such a short uh, time frame 
it's very likely that that other markets will follow with similar solutions, right? Um, because ultimately, what happened in Brazil is a reflection of what happened in Asia and China years ago with WeChat Pay and so on, right? So it's um, it's it's really a, a, a way to push, um, you know, electronic payments to to a broad base of the population that many times does not have a bank account and so on. So my expectation is that this will also of course, happen in other markets of the region. At the same time, I think that uh, I, I mentioned some of the large uh, e-commerce powerhouses or digital companies uh, coming into the market and offering their services like uh, Alibaba, Wish, Spotify, and so on. Mm -hmm. They also drive innovation in uh, in the markets in you know in, the, in in most of the Latin American markets because they tap into a a broad base of consumers that want to consume this service. So uh, the markets need to move as well, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's why from a general perspective, I think that we will see a lot of things happening across the entire region in the coming years. It has started already. Now it's just a matter of, you know, consolidating the, uh, the regulatory side of things. So opening and flexibilizing the regulatory side um, to allow for companies just like PPRO to, to bring innovation into the markets um, and combine that with a customer demand. So it, it will happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've been reading quite a lot a bit about um, Rappi, the, that the company out of Colombia and how they're kind of, I guess, on the path to become one of the, the super apps in, in the region. So I think, you know, if PIX was started, um, I guess, kind of, you know, thinking about how some of the, how they were inspired by Asia, um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, will the whole super app trend um, hit Latin America the way it's hit Southeast Asia? Yeah, I think that um, uh, whenever, whenever people ask me this question, I always uh, uh, like to point out that there's still a big difference between you know, what happened in, in China, for instance, and what is happening in Brazil, uh, in my opinion, right? Because, uh, well, first of all, there is a banking uh, network uh, available in Brazil that that is accessible to the broad population, right? Although large parts of the population are unbanked, uh, in principle, they can access banking services, right? So it's not like uh, PIX is, uh, is bridging a gap in terms of banking infrastructure in Brazil, like it is in China. In China, it's way more difficult for broad parts of the population to get access to the banking infrastructure, right? Or financial infrastructure. But at the same time, in Brazil, you know, for the fact that, that people generally do have access and use payment methods like uh, uh, Boleto that was explained by Ettore before, um, it, it's, it's not likely that uh, that consumers will tend to centralize uh, their, you know, their, 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 the choice of payment methods that much, like maybe in other countries. So, so what I'm trying to say is that um, I find it unlikely that that a super app will be able to to be dominant, or one single uh, super app will be able to be dominant in in a market like Brazil or or any other large consumer market in Latin America. Because um, there's there's simply more choice, and people are used to having the liberty to choose what they want, what kind of 
you know, product or service they, they want to consume or use. It's a, it's a bit different in my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it seems like there's so much happening in, in LATAM, um, you know, the, the rise of e-commerce, um, you know, different customer segments feeling more comfortable with purchasing um, things online, um, you know, uh, picks coming out of Brazil and, um, you know, some of the, the good payment uh, mixes coming out of, of Mexico, um, new technologies to help mitigate fraud and innovate on, on credit cards. So I think, yeah, there's certainly a lot to kind of watch out for in, in LATAM and we'll definitely be um, running a podcast soon focusing on on picks, I think, as you said, Atori, it's definitely, I think, something that warrants its own podcast. So that wraps up today's episode. And I'd like to thank my guests, um, Jean, Atori, and Tamina. I know it's very early where you are at the moment. So thank you again for joining me and sharing your experiences and, and thoughts and all the exciting things to watch out for in, in Latin. Thank you, Megan. Thank, it was you a pleasure. Pleasure. thank you so much for the invite. Thanks, Megan. It was a pleasure.